I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She, a podcast where women who are leaders in their industries, companies, and most importantly, their lives, share inspiring stories about obstacles they've overcome. 40 years of working in a male-dominated industry has prepared me for the task of interviewing these courageous, successful women, and to share stories and insights of my own along the way. Listen up, future leaders. This is Leading She. In regards to being a woman, to be very honest with you, I never kind of view it as a disadvantage. I don't think people mean to treat you differently, but I think there are just a lot of those unconscious bias. Leaders, especially men, that they may not think about. And so when I was younger, I didn't really point it out to them. But you know, as I continue to grow in my career, sometimes I correct them. I just say, hey, by the way, that could be construed in a different way. So it's better if you don't say those kind of things. On Leading She today, my guest is Sunita Lanto. Welcome, Sunita. Susan, thank you for having me here today. Yeah, this is going to be a great uh, interview. I'm impressed with your your background. Sunita Lanto is a public company board director, strategic advisor, and former Fortune 100 senior executive focusing on ESG, digital transformation and innovation. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Over her 25-year diverse global career, she has been an executive leader with the large companies HP, Siemens, PG&E, and more entrepreneurial Silicon Valley technology startups such as Trillion and GridNet. She was senior executive at HP's new 3D printing business, Siemens' new digital grid business, and at PG&E, leading new renewable climate and smart energy initiatives. She currently serves as an independent board director at Sunrun, the largest consumer solar and battery-as-a-service company in the U.S., and at TrueBlue, a mission-driven workforce solutions company. Sunita is a purpose-driven leader with a passion for advancing technology for humanity and increasing more women in technology in corporate boardrooms. She has been invited to speak by the White House at President Obama's Global Entrepreneurship Summit. Sunita was recognized by U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for her work for tech women and was invited by U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry for a roundtable discussion about digital transformations. She is an inductee to the U.S. Asian Hall of Fame and the U.S. Women in Manufacturing Hall of Fame. She's a graduate of Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, and University of California at Berkeley. So, wow, some amazing, interesting things on there that we're going to dive into. So welcome again, Sunita. Thank you again, Susan, for having me here today. Always great to share experiences and perspective with other women leaders. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be interesting. Um, really diverse career, interesting career. I know that you have, you know, you kind of have that left brain, right brain thing with the technology and marketing, and mm -hmm. and uh, you integrate the both both of them. And just tell us a little about your career, any highlights, your journey. Uh, spend a little time. Uh, telling us, telling us more. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I think um, when I look back at my journey, Susan, I think it wasn't always clear, you know, like what industry or functional area I wanted to get into. Uh, but over the years, you know, of course, everything becomes clearer when you look back instead of when yeah. you're going through the journey yourself. Yeah. Right? 
So when I look back, I think I started, you know, when I graduated college, it was actually during kind of the first uh, dot-com boom. I had an opportunity to start a company, believe it or not, with two of my classmates. You know, we did that for a couple of years, uh, eventually sold it to a larger competitor. And then I work in a few um, uh, smaller kind of like uh, startups uh, focusing on software in Silicon Valley. But then I knew I wanted to go back to graduate school. You know, I wanted to explore more. And that's really uh, when I decided I wanted to get both my engineering uh, graduate degree and also my uh, MBA, you know, because I mm -hmm. had always kind of been interested in that intersection of technology, uh, you know, kind of technology enabling business and even, believe it or not, a little bit of policy. But I think it was really in graduate school that I started to realize, you know, there are just a few things that I really like, you know. First was really that intersection of new technology that enabled, you know, new business. And then second, I also ideally wanted to kind of work in an industry where uh, there is that additionality factor. And what I meant by that, Susan, is, you know, of course, in, men, uh, in any business, at the end of the day, you know, it's a business, you have to create profit, create revenue as a business. But I would love to work in an area where there is kind of that contributing factor to society, you know, and usually, at least in my experience, it was either in healthcare or in energy, you know, and it just so happened, you know, my my first route after graduate school was really in energy. And so, you know, from there, I really just kind of used this guiding principle that, hey, there's technology enabling something new, but also there is the additionality factor. And then looking back now, fast forward 25 mm -hmm. years later, I think I've had, um, you know, really uh, been uh, 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 fortunate to have had that opportunity to work, you know, either in smart energy or renewables or the applications of new technology to enable, again, you know, uh, new renewables or distributed energy to be uh, integrated into our energy system that mm -hmm. then, you know, help with climate change and sustainability, but also in manufacturing, actually with HP, I kind of got into manufacturing because HP was looking to leverage their 3D printing technology in order to, um, you know, create a new way to manufacture, which is using 3D printing technology that also has that kind of additionality factor of enabling manufacturing to be more uh, on demand. You know, you basically produce it when you need it locally. So, you know, it really also helps with sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, about two years ago, actually, when I was still at HP, I had the opportunity to, you know, join boards, you know, first one was Sunrun, who I kind of um, categorized as a disruptor in the energy industry to mm -hmm. enable more renewables. And then with TrueBlue, who is in workforce solutions. And to be honest, I don't really have uh, background in workforce solutions, but where the fit came in because, you know, they were trying to leverage technology in order to better serve their customers to transform the way they do business. And so, you know, my experience in innovation and technology and all that really makes sense. And so, mm -hmm. you know, um, I joined both and both are uh, purpose driven, you know, very important for me to join companies whose, whose mission and values align with my own values and mm -hmm. also where I feel there's a good cultural fit. Yeah. Yeah. You were you were a female executive with these large companies, HP and Siemens. And then you you had the entrepreneurial um, experience as well. Did you have situations that came up where you could maybe give some advice to young women about 
how to be a female executive, how to be a female entrepreneur, what your, were your experiences so that they know how to navigate their own careers based on what you experienced? What would you say? Yeah, so I would answer that question uh, in two ways, Susan, you know, I think, um, you know, when I was younger, you know, probably I focused more on myself, like, you know, focusing on what I like, I like technology, I like business. But then over time, of course, as you continue to grow in your career, you realize that, hey, that that itself is not enough, you know, what I mean, because you, you can be passionate about something, but you may or may not be good at it. So I found at least for me personally, and also in talking with many, you know, young people, young women who are just starting out in their career, that satisfaction really comes when you combine that uh, passion with your skills, which is what you're good at. And then again, you know, with working in an area that has a purpose, I think then you really get that satisfaction. And then uh, in, in regards to being a woman, to be very honest with you, I never kind of view it as a disadvantage. You know what I mean? Like, of mm -hmm. course, throughout my career, probably I've experienced, I don't think outward uh, sexism or things like that, or outward, um, you know, like, I don't think people mean to treat you differently, but I think there are just a lot of those unconscious bias that yes, right. you know, leaders, especially men, that they may not think about. And so when I was younger, I didn't really point point it out to them. But you know, as I continue to grow in my career, you know, sometimes I correct them. I just say, hey, by the way, you know, like that could be construed in a different way. So it's better if you don't say those kind of things or if you don't refer to other women in the workplace that way. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think as a woman, you just have to be confident. I think first, uh, perhaps think of it more from the positive way. Do, mm -hmm. do not think that people actually are out there to get you. But right. if you see something that you don't feel comfortable, you should point it out. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, you know, when we're younger, when we're in our 20s, I think it feels like a land, you know, a bit like a landmine uh, area where, where it's like, I, I can't really say this because I'm young. And I don't want to offend someone. But as you get more experience and have more clout, sometimes those are teachable moments. And many times I don't think men really know what they're saying, how, how they're saying it. Sometimes they do. But I think you're right, you know, that you can speak up in a way where it's like, hey, it's a teachable moment. When you said that, it made me feel this way, right? Right. Yeah. Great advice. Um, you talked about the intersection of passion, skills, and purpose. And you wrote an article in Forbes magazine about how women are more likely to stay in technology careers when they feel like they're making a difference. And how have you seen this intersection of... Uh, uh, meaning, purpose, impact. Uh, how, how do you how do you see that? How do you think women are looking at it, and how are companies addressing this? Great, yeah, great. Another great question, uh, Susan. I think, I think um, first, I think like the reason that uh, women, I think, are more likely to stay in a career where they feel that at that intersection, I think, is by nature, women are more compassionate and empathetic. Mm. And also, I think we are more considerate, let's just say it that way. We kind of like don't just think about ourselves, but also think of others. And I think this intersection really fits well, because when you think about it, you know, when you 
not just think about passion, but think about combining that with skills and purpose, you're shifting the frame of reference from you to how you can become a valuable contributor to society. And I think in general, that just more appealing to women. And I think how companies are addressing it, interestingly, I think a lot of companies, especially tech companies, um, you know, dealing with a new generation of workers these days, and, you know, research have have shown that, you know, the new generation, especially Gen Z, even millennials, you know, they really want to work for a company that has that purpose, you know, so it's not just company that sell products, but company who, you know, have an inclusive work environment, who, um, you know, um, work, are working towards, you know, improving sustainability. And there are many research that have cited, you know, like millennials are more likely to stay in a workplace where they feel that, you know, that workplace has some kind of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of women and how companies are trying to address this, um, especially I would say after the pandemic and right now going into, you know, this uncertain situation with recession and all that, I think many companies, in addition to having a mission and values that, you know, has that uh, additionality factor, they also try to create a hybrid work environment, Susan, mm-hmm. where women actually not just women, all all of their workforce, but especially women, just given the nature that a lot of women are also caregiver in their families. Companies are really trying to, everyone is experimenting with all kinds of hybrid work environment situation here. But the purpose is to ensure that all of their workforce, especially women, can have what I call the flexible but prudent work environment where they can be flexible, but at the same time still contributing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, you were you were born in Indonesia. Uh, tell us about your family, your childhood, how you came to the U.S. Great, yes, I was uh, I was born and raised in uh, Jakarta. Actually, it's a big city, mm-hmm. uh, big polluted city. Unfortunately, twelve million people and. Um, Indonesia, I think a lot of people don't realize is actually uh, the fourth largest country in the world, 275 million people with more than 17,000 islands. So when I was growing up, I grew up, I would say, in an environment that was very diverse, you know, and, you know, had a lot of friends and family from different ethnic and religious backgrounds. So I'm, I'm Catholic, but Indonesia is a Muslim majority country, actually. Mm-hmm. And so I think looking back, this upbringing had enabled me to, I would say, have a more kind of diverse and global perspective. To, so it had really helped me. Uh, my mom and dad, they were business people. Uh, and my mom, I would say she was probably a little bit ahead of her time. Uh, you know, she's a tri- triple minority, female, uh, ethnic Chinese in a you know, non-Chinese majority country and Catholic, but I think she never, uh, you know, look at it as a disadvantage. And she was able to, you know, together with my dad, really build uh, like a business. And growing up, Susan, I was just a regular kid. Uh, I was pretty good in math and science in general. I remember that as a good kid, so teacher like me, because I followed the rules, got good grades. Mm-hmm. And I would say most of my other friends trusted me, you know, they uh, elected me class president several times. And I like to organize things, you know, like involved in all kinds of committees, mm-hmm. uh, including fundraising committee, you know, like uh, to help, you know, donate, you know, some um, uh, funds to underprivileged children uh, in Jakarta. And then I came to the U.S. for college, uh, didn't plan to stay this long. But as they said, you have a plan and then, you know, life has another plan for you. So you just have to be flexible and agile and deal with, you know, kind of opportunities and challenges ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. 
Yeah, very interesting. Um, how do you think being a woman, and you uh, touched on this, being an Asian woman has a, has been a factor in your career, your successes. It sounds like you, uh, you know, came from Indonesia. There was more of a focus on diversity there. Um, and how have you experienced um, any any uh, gender or ethnic bias? We touched on that too, but I'd just be curious uh, what you would tell the listeners about that. Yeah, uh, interestingly, I, I actually think, um, sure, Indonesia is, is diverse, but everyone is Asian. It's just like, you know, kind of different religion and different mm -hmm. ethnicity. Here in the U.S., you know, in addition to, um, you know, being uh, Asian American and female, the U.S. has a much more kind of like, I would say, um, di diversity in a different sense, of course. You know, there's the race and then, you know, religion and mm -hmm. nationality, things like that. And I think I had been fortunate that during my time in the U.S., I had experienced the West Coast, the East Coast, and the Midwest. And of course, each you know uh, place is slightly different. Uh, you know, just by nature, there are more Asians in um, the Bay Area, so you know you you don't mm -hmm. feel as much of a minority. Yeah. Uh, but, but I would say um, you know my background has elicited more curiosity rather than again outward. Um, sexism or, or, or racism, you know, usually hmm. people want to know kind of like, hey, uh, you know, where you're from, you know, like, how, how, what is it like? Um, and, you know, I've always, as I've mentioned to you, Susan, I've, I've used this to my advantage because in a lot of my even business uh, endeavors, uh, most of the time, you know, the companies that I've worked with are very international or they want to expand internationally. So I think just this experience of understanding other cultures, hmm. other, you know, uh, ways of how people do business in other countries, uh, for instance, even uh, understanding that when people say they want to expand to Asia, it doesn't mean, you know, just one or two countries. There are 48 countries and each country is different. So you have to be very specific. Where do you truly want to expand? Because then it really depends on which country it is. There are different ways of doing it. So I would mm -hmm. say it has been um, an advantage for me. And yeah. I never view it as a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. You and I talked and you had said that Young people can tend to be impatient, and as you and I have learned, uh, careers are a journey, and I know I was pretty impatient when I was in my 20s and even 30s, and I wanted to, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next promotion, you know? And, um, you know, 42 years later in my career, uh, you know, it, it is a journey, and a lot of times you spend time doing things you don't like to do. Maybe you're better at other things. You know, what would you tell young people that... Uh, women, particularly, uh, about patience in our in our careers. Yes, I think patience is very very important, and uh, probably you get there after you've spent some time in you know in the working world, and you realize that it's not linear. Um, it's not like going to school. I think school. I think one of the reasons, Susan, a lot of young people probably very impatient because in school everything is structured there's the exam you you know finish the exam you graduate you go to the next level but as we all know in career it's not quite that way there mm -hmm. is no exam there is no i mean sure there's promotion and advancement but it's not quite as structured so i think patience is extremely important but there are other things i think that you can also do in order to 
just kind of help you throughout the journey. You know, um, the first one I think is to have a growth mindset. And what I meant by that is accepting that change is the only constant. Mm. And sometimes you actually want to go where the puck is and not where the puck has been. You know what I mean? So having a little bit of a, like, take a step back from what you're doing, see where the world is going and determine where you might want to go with that. You know, I think that would help. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I would say the second is celebrate small victories. I think in the working world, it is not quite like when you were in school, like the celebration is more obvious in school, you graduate or you go to the next level. I think in at work, it's not quite that way. So celebrate small victories. Don't wait for the big promotion before you celebrate mm. because celebrating small victories, I think, help you kind of like get to, you know, know that you're in the right path. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, have mentors and sponsors um, that are, one to two steps ahead of you uh, in, in addition to people who inspire you. So what I say is like mentors and sponsors who are aspirational. So you're like, oh, wow, that's the role model like 20 years from now. But also people who are just one to two steps ahead of you that are, you know, kind of more relevant to where you are in your journey. I think all of these help with regards to giving you perspective where you are. And it is a long journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned something earlier, which I think is can be true that young people, young women perhaps, uh, are tend to be more. We were more self focused when we were younger. It's kind of like what's what's in it for me. What's it about? And as we get older, we find that the more we can help our companies, the more we can be of service. You know, to a greater good. You know, uh, you're talking about energy, renewable energy. Um, that that we get out of the self-focusedness as we get older. And the sooner they can get out of that, the better, <laughs> I would say. The, the better and the less anxious I think you will be. Yeah. Because I, when you're always kind of like, oh, what's next, what's next? There is this level of anxiety that yes. is unnecessary because you're going to be, your journey will continue for another 20, 30, 40 years. So right. you know, why be anxious all the time, right? Yeah, I know. I was, though. I, it sounds like you were, too. But uh, we learn. Uh, but, you know, this is, that's what the podcast is about, to give young women you know, uh, that are at the beginning of their careers advice about what we did and what we wish we had done differently. So um, you've been a, an ardent uh, advocate for increasing the number of women in technology leadership. How have you gone about doing that? And what, what do you what do you think are keys to increasing the number of women leaders in technology? Great question, Susan. So I, I will answer that from both a supply and demand perspective, you know. So uh, what I meant by supply is um, I think more women from a very young age needs to know that, you know, being good in math and science kind of cool, and it's not just for the boys. Right. Um, there was a research that I read not too long ago that said actually in grade, grade school, um, you know, when you when they survey, you know, boys say about 60% of them said their favorite subjects were math and science, and only about 40% of girls, you know, said, you know, their favorite subjects were math and science. I think from a very young age, maybe parents, you know, teachers, you know, just community in general need to encourage more girls to go to, you know, pursue math and science, you know, from grade school all the way uh, to college so that we have the pipeline, right? And then from the demand side, I think from a company's perspective, I think company needs to be intentional and strategic 
in not just recruiting, um, you know, female talent in engineering and science, but also in creating the environment uh, to enable this, you know, high potential talent to uh, thrive, to retain them, to develop them. Uh, and I think the key is actually to make this kind of female development programs inside companies to be integrated into the overall company leadership program that is actually, you know, supported by the CEO, uh, has the championship from the board, has enough resources that is actually truly integrated into the company's overall program rather than just, oh, like there is this women program mm. that kind of out there. So I think both like supply and demand needs to be addressed, I would say. Mm. Yeah. In your bio, um, you talk about, I'd love to know more about this, President Obama's global entrepreneurship. You were consulted about that. Hillary Clinton, uh, the tech women uh, area. Talk about these opportunities, how they came to you and what uh, what they meant. The tech women, yes, it was started by Hillary when she was a uh, uh, Secretary Clinton, when she was the um, Secretary of State. You mm -hmm. know, it was 12 years ago, I think. And her idea, it was really good. So she thought that, you know, diplomacy and statecraft could be better when you actually help women from these, let's just call it emerging countries and connect them with women who are here in the United States. As it just so happened, she decided she wanted to focus on technology to connect them, uh, enable these women from the emerging countries to come actually to the United States for an experiential learning and do projects at these different companies and then go back actually to their countries to then leverage whatever it is that they were learning here, either to start new companies or to advance, you know, in their career back home. So it was really uh, kind of like a uh, cross-country uh, development and mentorship program to help, you know, enable really diplomacy and and statecraft. And it was really good. I think I was with a uh, the like a venture back startup in Silicon Valley at the time. And then I just uh, one day I got an email actually that said like, hey, we're starting this program. We wanted to uh, the first class was actually pretty small. I would say maybe around 50. And I know over the years they have started to, uh, you know, like put more and more women. And I said yes, because I thought that was a great opportunity. And I got, you know, uh, paired with uh, like a young uh, female leader from Lebanon who was, you know, an engineering uh, uh, person as well. And it was a really good experience. And after that, you know, I also signed up as a selection committee members. And basically what that meant is they had applications from all over the world. But at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, over the years, the class grew to about 200, you know, per cohort. And, you know, as a as a, a selection committee member, you had the experience as a mentor. So you kind of know what works, what doesn't work. But at the same time, you also want to make sure that the applicant pool are diverse. So they come mm. from different countries, from kind of different industries. So it was real it was a really good experience, Susan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. And um, I think the Obama one, I, I, I of course I ne you never know how they got your name. Yeah. But I felt like once you got involved with some program, you know, it's just my my assumption, of course, I have no idea, probably like your name is somewhere. And then, you know, when they have another program, maybe they'll ask you if you would be interested to get involved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, neat. Uh, you've been a senior executive with HP Siemens. Talk about talk about your leadership style and, and your principles. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, great, great, great question. Um, I, I, I think, of course, my 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 leadership styles have changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, reflecting back, I think it can really be summarized uh, maybe in, in 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 three ways. So the first, I think, leaders have to be customer focused, and the reason, I mean, it may be obvious to you, Susan, but actually, it's not so obvious for people in technology because. In technology, you have these brilliant innovators, engineers. They usually invent something very brilliant, you know, from a technical or um, uh, uh, physics or science perspective. But sometimes they don't really think about the customers. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. really where someone like me came in because I have that right brain, left brain. Yeah. Right? I have able to translate whatever this brilliant thing that has been invented, how it's actually helping to solve customers' problems. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. it's a very common problem in technology. Yeah. So leaders have to be customer focused. And I think second, leaders have to act like owners. And what I meant by that is, you know, like you have to think long term because it's so um, you know, like sometimes you get caught in the short term, you know, oh, you know, how do I make this quarter? But I think at the end of the day, leaders, true leaders have to be able to think long-term and not sacrifice long-term value for short-term gains. You know, I think it's very hard to do sometimes because of the quarterly pressure. And then the last one, I think we talked about this before, is I think over time, leaders develop other leaders instead of other followers, you know? And um, this really resonate with me because I think in the beginning, like all of us, right, we became leaders because someone made us a manager so we were a leader because our position people follow us simply because our title or our position but over time we realized that in itself is not enough and you have to be intentional in developing other people in your team to be leaders because they will be faced with situations where you're not going to be around they have to be able to have the courage and you know the ability to make decisions on their own and even to lead others in whatever situation they're in and i think that's really where the flywheel works you know what i mean that's really where you can really move you know the whole thing forward and truly make a difference mm. we talked about um empathic leadership and you said that uh, you know women can bring compassion emp- empathy which is there's a focus on that today and it seems to be a more typically a female quality. Um, how how do you think the expectations have changed uh, today in terms of what's expected of leaders around empathy? I think empathy is extremely important, um, especially after the pandemic experience. Mm. We all, you know, we were all faced with something we had never faced before. And I think, you know, in those situations, being authentic, being empathetic, compassionate, uh, being able to provide a what I would call a realistic sense of hope is very important. And as I mentioned, we're about to go into a recession, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even a stagflation. So what I meant by that is another uncertainty. And I think as leaders, you know, you can show more authenticity, share what you know and what you don't know, and just be open and transparent. Because I think at the end of the day, people want you to be honest rather than sugarcoating something. And then you can show compassionate by giving them the trust and the time and space to finish their job, even if their schedule may not be aligned with your own schedule, right? And then last but not least, you know, what I meant by a realistic sense of hope is during uncertain time, you need to, you know, create safe space and environment to 
make people feel that they're a part of a community that cares. And this was especially true during the pandemic. You know, you didn't see people for two years. You know, there are still things you can do, like virtual birthday celebration or, you know, sending your team members light reading materials that can provide little inspiration. Just little things that, mm -hmm. you know, show that you care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's expected. It wasn't expected, really, when I was first in my career. You know, it's kind of like you, you have a job, you're expected to do the job, and the boss tells you what to do. And there really wasn't a whole lot of talk about vulnerability and empathy, feelings, how you doing, Susan? None of that. And and uh, it's welcome, you know, in the pandemic, you're right. I mean, uh, uh, our worlds were changed and we had to do things differently and and things are different now like you said a hybrid uh, work environments you can come in uh, two days a week and that's okay uh, it's changed um, and and bosses uh, people that lead uh, manage don't have all the answers and you have to you know be vulnerable there that look I don't know but we will find out let's find out together right totally. yeah, yeah. Totally. We, we talked about young people, women developing a reputation, especially early in our careers. And you said that you've never really looked for a job. It sounds like they've come to you. Um, mm -hmm. And you and I share the practice of uh, what we did was, uh, I think we both did this. I wrote articles for mm -hmm. publications so that I would uh, put a stake in the ground as an expert in my field. And in some topics I wrote on I didn't really know as well so I really had to research make sure my my articles were good and strong and but that's how I developed credibility and you talked about that doing the same thing what would you say around uh, young people and their careers and how to develop a good reputation yeah so I think the reputation um has to be both internally and externally, right? Mm. Um, and I think the best way to develop reputation, of course, internally is to get the job done, to be known as someone who's collaborative, but, but effective. And then externally, I think ideally, you want to build a reputation in the field that you're actually in. So in my uh, example, for instance, it's funny, um, you know, I was actually just doing my job, Susan, because I was always in this kind of new technology, right? It's like, oh, smart grid, what the hell is that? So I had to write about it, you know, uh, kind of like explain to the public uh, with regards to, you know, what benefits, you know, can you get from this new technology? So in a sense, I was actually just doing my job because I was trying to help the company I was with to kind of like educate, right? The pr prospective customers and the public in general. But then over time, you know, it seemed that, you know, as you keep doing that, you start developing your own point of view with regards to whatever it is that you mm -hmm. focus on. And in, in my particular case, it's how technology deliver benefits, you know, for business and for the environment and for society. And then you become known for that, you know what I mean? And what's interesting is, um, as we have talked, before Susan, mm -hmm. once you're known for something, you know, sometimes there are opportunities that come your way that you wouldn't have thought about or have known about. Because the truth is, our ability to know everything is limited, right? Yes. But if we have a point of view, we put it out there, I think sometimes, you know, there are other people who see that. And when it makes sense for them to reach out to you because they want to know more about your expertise or because they think you might be able to help them with something, then it expands your 
credibility, I mm-hmm. would say. Yeah, and definitely. It just so happened that's that's how it happened with me. Uh, so I think it's it's first, of course, it's important to build a reputation in something that's relevant because I think sometimes if you just go off on a tangent. I think it's also not fair to the company you're with, but if it's related to something that you're doing and you have a unique point of view and it can also help the company, I think you should totally do it. Yeah. Yeah. You and I talked about uh, the fact that, you know, uh, what, what I did in my business, and it sounds like you did the same thing. You took something somewhat complicated in technology, for example. I took... You know, I wrote about affordable housing tax credits, Section 42 of the IRS code. Uh, and I mean, that was complex, you know, how it all worked for everybody, you know. Uh, and I, I spent hours and hours writing, uh, researching before I wrote it. And it was a yeah. really good article. And then I had a developer call me uh, of affordable housing tax credits. And he was had a reputation of being kind of a gruff guy. And he said, Susan, you know what you're talking about. I want to meet with you. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So true. And and I don't know about you. I I I usually in the beginning of like writing an article, like my brain is all over the place, Susan. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not articulate. It's kind of like what is the point, Sanita? Because there's too many things, right? But as you have this discipline to keep going, like you said, yes. the final product will be very good. It will be strong, right. clear point of view. Uh, simplifying the complex, but it's a process. I Mm -hmm. think the whole thing about building reputation is also helping you yourself to clarify your thinking. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, writing, I think, is a very good way to actually clarify your thinking. Mm -hmm. It does clarify your thinking, and I I can be all over the place, but uh, there's a writer, and I can't remember who it is, who said, I hate writing, but I love having written. (laughs) For sure. It can be torturous, you know, where it's just like, try, how do I get this all together, the outline, and how do I say this, and should I rewrite, and it's, you go back to it, reread it, rewrite it, you know, it's just, uh, but once it's done, you know, and it's something I, I do, I think I do well, it sounds like you do well, and the point of view is, is an interesting one, that takes courage to really put yeah. yourself out there and have a point yeah. of view about something and say, I take this stand, you know, and uh, that's hard to do for people that maybe are less experienced, but it's important to do it. Right. And Susan, actually, just to um, it's funny, because I think when you take that point of view, I think you don't know whether or not the world might go there or not. But you would be surprised if one day you look back and whatever you were saying 15 years ago and today it becomes a reality. You're like, wow, you know, what I mean. Like, it's amazing. But the truth is, like you said, the courage is important because when you took that point of view, you actually didn't know where it it might go. I mean, of course, what I'm talking more is about, uh, you know, my area, which is technology. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because in the past 15 years ago, I was already talking about how new technology like smart grid can integrate our centralized energy system Mm. with more distributed energy like solar rooftops and electric vehicles and all that. But the truth is, I didn't know whether that would be true. I mean, I just saw that as a possibility. Yeah. And today I'm with Sunrun and I'm like, oh my God, like they are doing that. You know what I mean? Right now, all the rooftop solars, if aggregated, can actually, you know, bid energy into the grid, you Mm -hmm. know? So some that I talk about 15 years ago, but I didn't know if one day it would become a reality. But when it became a reality, and I'm not saying it always does, but when it does, you're like, wow, you yeah. know what I mean? That's courage. Yeah, 
I've made some predictions that didn't come true, but I have made some predictions that did come true. And some people did pull out my articles and say, you know, Susan, you're right. It did happen exactly how you said it would happen. So uh, that, that's kind of rewarding. Um, well, we've, we've uh, both experienced successes and failures in our careers. And um, where, where have you stumbled along the way? And uh, what, would, uh, what would be some key takeaways, some advice you would give? Mm-hmm. Another great question. Um, and um, of course, I've had many failures, uh, Susan, just like everyone else. Mm. But I think perspective is important because when I took a step back, um, I mean, none of my failures were a matter of life and death. You know what I mean? It's different when, when failures are life and death and when failures is just personal disappointments because you didn't achieve something, mm. right? The perspective, I think, is very, very important. But I think my key takeaways were... Um, you know, before you experience failure, I don't think you know, you know what I mean? And I think failures and adversity really build your characters, you yes. know, add richness to your experience, right? right. Uh, makes you stronger, makes you humble. But the key, I think, I think when the failure happened, usually you cannot see it. But the key is after, maybe after the failure, uh, you really had to have the ability to take a step back and reflect on it, reflect on it. Don't blame yourself. Just reflect on it and learn from the experience and then kind of tell yourself, what are you going to do better based on that experience for the next time? Because mm. then over time, after many, many failures, you then, you know, became a kind of like a better version, a stronger version of yourself because you've learned and reflect from it. I mm-hmm. think that's, that's the key, like not, not just to experience it, but to take some time, reflect and learn from it. Right. And then hopefully you won't do it again. And you can advise these young people that here's what can go wrong because you're doing it this way. <laughs> if they listen, right? Totally. Yes, totally. Yeah. Congratulations on your recent uh, transition to full-time board service. We used to think that board service, especially for public companies, are the domain for the retired uh, former CEOs or CFOs of public companies, which are mostly men. Yet you've been elected to two public boards. And um, at a pretty young age, I've, I've calculated, I think, how old you are, and a female um, from a technology background. Just talk about your board journey, what, what that's been like, what you've learned, and what, uh, what, what you like doing a, uh, in board service. Yeah. So, Susan, I think, I think my board journey, I mean, um, even started maybe five years ago. You know, I, I got pinged by another company, but at the time I was with Siemens, the timing wasn't right, so I didn't pursue that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But even the Sunrun one, I mean, going back to our uh, previous conversation, I think I got pinged because they've seen my previous work talking about how this new technology can integrate new renewables, blah, blah, blah. So my point is, as I said, sometimes you're just doing your job, you may not know where it might lead you. But for, for me personally, I mean, I became board members while still sitting executive. And so I think for me was really that transition from leading, doing, achieving, to actually being able to take a step back and understand that the role of the board is really oversight and guidance. You know what I mean? So don't try to solve a problem or mm. don't try to achieve this or achieve this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you really have to transition your mindset from doing or leading 
into using the insight and hopefully foresight that you've developed over your career to help oversee and guide. I think that was the biggest experience, you know, that mm-hmm. I experienced uh, on the boards. And then second, I feel very fortunate that, you know, I joined both boards that I felt mission and values were aligned with my own values, good fit culturally with the current board and all that, because during my first year on the board, I already experienced all kinds of things that, you know, maybe people didn't expect to experience it during their first year, you know? So with Sunrun, we bought another solar company. So there's a big integration work there. And then we also changed CEO uh, intentionally. It was a plan, you know, change. So, you know, as a new board member, immediately dealing with, you know, integration. It's a big, and big things. New CEO, yeah, exactly. And then with True Blue. Um, you know, we unfortunately experienced uh, an unexpected CEO change. You know, it was public. We, mm. you know, announced it and all that. But, you know, this this notion of uh, joining a company whose mission and values align with your own and that that has a good cultural fit with the board is very important because you don't know when you're going to experience a crisis, which I did during my first year, you know what I mean, as a board member. Mm-hmm. And so all of these experiences, I think, really add just a different dimension to me as a person because, again, the role is different now, you know, from leading, achieving, you know, like breaking records into overseeing, guiding, advising. And I think that transition uh, for me uh, was the biggest, you know, difference between my executive career and my Mm -hmm. work. Yeah, I've heard the same thing from other women that I talked to that have retired from their careers, uh, the day to day, kind of being there full time to board service. And it's a great way to give back. And but the biggest thing they said they had to learn is I'm not here to run the company. I am here to give you my experience insight. I serve on this committee uh, and guide you. But then I walk away. You're the ones that take that and either do it or not. And then I come back next quarter and and give you some more advice. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Different. (laughs) Totally different. Totally different. It takes getting used to, though, because, yes. you know, depending on what kind of person you are, you know, sometimes you have a tendency to want to solve it. You right? want to control it. Yeah. Kind of like, here's your problem. I know how to fix this here. Fix it and get back to me about how you fixed it. And, and you, that's not your role. You know, that is not your role. Not your yep. role. Not yeah. Your role. Great. Uh, great thoughts there. Uh, we'll close out with this last question here. Uh, and th- I asked this a lot of my guests, any closing words of wisdom for young female professionals? They're on the technology track. They're in a maybe a startup uh, or maybe at a big company and they want to develop a career. Um, how? What advice would you give to her? Yes, a great closing question. I think first and foremost, again, realize life is a journey, not a destination. Mm -hmm. So enjoy the journey, learn from it, you know, be generous, be grateful. Uh, Okay, so that's the first uh, (laughs) advice. Um, I think second advice, I think that growth mindset is so important because you're going to experience change is anything is the only thing that's constant. And it's good if you can see it, because sometimes you can change yourself first before the situation forces it on you. But of course, it's not always you can see that. And I think, again, get mentors and sponsors, both Mm -hmm. people who are aspirational, that you can see where yourself might be in 20, 30 years, but also people who are just two, three steps ahead of you, which is more relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then honestly, Susan, last but not least, I think truly, I truly believe 
um, think about, you know, how you can combine your passion, which is what you like, with that skills, which is what you're good at. And, you know, ideally, you know, with, with the purpose, you know, working in an industry that has that additionality factor. Because I've also found sometimes when challenges happen and then you do feel that whatever you're working on has a meaning, it gives a little kind of like renewed sense of satisfaction, you know what mm. I mean? And it keeps you going. And so I think, you know, those those would be kind of like some of my um, advice, you know, to people who are who are starting out in their career or early in their career. Yeah, yeah. And like, like you said, uh, and, and I've said that sometimes, you know, it's a zigzag. It's not a linear uh, career. And uh, like you say, find out what you're good at, the skills, and then are you passionate about it? And then do you have meaning and purpose, you know, in this? And once you combine those things, you and I talked about this, it's like, you don't have to work. You just, you know, it all comes together. You're in the zone, you know? Yes. And, 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 and again, I think the journey part is important because you're not always in the zone. And so it's okay. Sometimes you're in the zone. Sometimes you're not in the zone. But it's a journey, you right. know, and so as long as you have that perspective, then you'll yeah. be fine. And you're learning and you're preparing yourself for that next move, which may be more in alignment with uh, with your passion, skill and purpose. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Great talk today. Thank you, Sunita, for being a guest on Leading She. It's been great to get to know you. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.